we welcome you to the Watchers of the Skies program. The title of this program was taken from a John Keats poem where he's excited about a new translation of Homer and he compares it to someone seeing a new planet come into his ken. And for us, we're watching the skies of contemporary America, in particular the world, but also America, and commenting on it. I'm here, Carlos Campo. I'm joined, as always, by my colleague and friend. Dennis Montecrucis. Hey, Dennis. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. We are joined in the studio, as always, by really talented young people. Steve Strucky, mm -hmm. who's a great jazz musician and operating that camera for us. Zach's running the show. And I think Gage moved over to take over for Bryn on that camera. If you've not yet met these young people, it means you've not been to our campus, probably, and uh, toured this studio, toured the program. You know, it's amazing, Dennis, because I, I will tell you frankly, I've met a lot of successful alums. Robin Mead was uh, in this program once upon a time, and lots of them not involved in journalism or digital media necessarily, but the skill sets that mm -hmm. these young people have learned are portable, as they say. And so we invite uh, our listeners, our viewers, to come by and check out the studio. I know that the department chair, Dave McCoy, who's always on hand, would be happy to take them for a tour. And of course, if you want to help these students graduate with less debt, we're always interested in talking to you about that as well. Today, we are talking about parental rights in education. I, I don't know that this started with my good friend, Terry McAuliffe. Actually, I, I know Terry. He's not a good friend, but he was a good governor, I think, of Virginia and ran for governor recently and failed to, to win that election and maybe because of what he said about parents' rights in their kids' education. Boy, we all know that a single gaffe can be problematic, but for Terry, you'll recall that he in particular was saying, you know, that parents didn't have a right, that it really was the purview of teachers. They were, they were better informed. They were trained in this situation. And, you know, I think a lot of it was blown out of proportion, but it may have cost Terry the election, but there was a cascading effect from what he said because lots of parents before that point just made an assumption that they had more rights than they thought they had. And they thought, my goodness, this man is a step away from becoming governor. Would he have taken away my rights? I will assert them more now. And now we've seen lots of states start to write legislation to try to put some guardrails in so that people aren't teaching things that they would find objectionable. Do you think that's a fair summary? I, I think so. Uh, and it's, it is a, quite a gaffe. I mean, you have to count, right? Are there more parents or more teachers? Right. <laughs> I think there are a few more parents. So, sure. yeah, not a, not a smart thing to say. But um, I, I suppose that that, that kind of got the ball rolling with uh, the Yunkin. Well, I mean, Yunkin made a, a huge deal. He did. Out of, out of school policy. And he won the election probably, probably because of that. And now there's just a, a huge spate of bills across the country, at least one of which has already passed. I think two. So... The, the one in Florida, most famously, but I think also Alabama. And there are many other um, bills that are up, including one here in Ohio, Bill 616. Right. We, we chuckled about the, uh, the number of the bill, which is also the number of something else. Check the footnotes in your Bible. And, um, but uh, at least I think uh, it was at least nine states, maybe more than that, that have similar bills that are, that are being considered right now. Right. And what, what are these bills all about? I know I actually don't like the phrase that's being used, don't say gay right. uh, phraseology. I, I read the bill 616. It's not that bill. It doesn't okay. say anything about that in particular. 
frame for our listeners what the bills do say, because they really do follow very similar templates in terms of the language. Right, exactly. So the, the Florida bill is the, the most famous yes. one, and that's the one that is serving as the template for the other bills. So they, they say a number of things. So one thing that they, they say is that there's not to be any discussion of gender identity or sexual orientation from K through three. No, right. no discussion of that, no instruction. And then for any grade, it has to be age appropriate, the discussion. Now, if this is violated, potentially parents can sue the, the school district. So that's obviously a, a controversial, uh, well, everything in this bill is controversial. Uh, also, this is a big deal. Parents are entitled to see all of the students' health records, mm -hmm. unless it's a case of abuse or something that where the law is gonna step in. Short of that, parents are supposed to have access to health records and essentially to know. So if the student is questioning their, their, their gender identity or any of these things, the parents should be notified, they need to know. And again, if they are, aren't told, then the school district, or the school at least, I don't remember if it was the school or the school district, takes on legal liability for, for not telling the parents. So I think those are at least um, some of the highlights there. I think that's right. And I think in particular this idea of gender identity and sexual orientation are subjects that parents, at least it, it seems to imply, parents in these states feel like, let's leave that off. You know, we, we can pick that up at a later point. It's really much more a parent's responsibility to get that done. You know, when I think about the history of education in America, we're starting much, much younger than we ever did in the past. You know, I re read through the Ashland archives, uh, Ashland newspaper, local newspaper archives, and one of the things that was a problem for years and years and years in this city and this county was truancy. You know, it was really tough just to get kids to come to school. And when we did get them to start school, they were almost always at least seven years of age. Okay. Seven or eight is pretty much where we started. And so this idea of age-appropriate instruction around these things. You're in a classroom, you're a teacher, and someone says, my mommy and my mommy, or, you know, I have two moms, and, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean my friend has this, or I heard this word? How is, a, how is a, an instructor supposed to respond to those things? So I, I do think there is a balance here. I think folks realize that, but for the most part, I'm wondering if the concern that's being raised by advocates for LBGTQ plus are really more about concern of how these students who might have a particular orientation be treated, et cetera. You know, I think we all realize that sex education when it's done right can be great. And when it's done wrong, it's horrible. Wherever that happens, in the home or in the public school. But I think most parents feel like, hey, you know what, if my kids in the third grade or younger, I can handle that discussion. Let's, let's keep it there. And whatever they're missing, whatever needs to be filled in, we can do that after that point. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's a question. So, so I mean, the, the place where I think the, it shouldn't necessarily be left versus right, but people yeah, will understand what, what we mean. So yes. the place where I think the left has the, the best argument or the, the most understandable concern is not in the case where the teacher is saying, hey, I'm, you know, I, I'm gay or I'm trans and this is really cool and let me tell you all about it. But rather, when it's the kids themselves that have 
let's say they're from an, a non-traditional family, mm-hmm. or they, they're wondering themselves and they bring this out, right, what to do then? I mean, is the teacher supposed to just, you know, walk out of the room right. because he or she doesn't want to lose his job or get sued or something like that? Right. Right. So that's, I think, where there needs to be something. And often, and I'm sure you read this too, there were a lot of criticisms about the bill being just written very poorly, that it's often vague. And I, I had that, that feeling about it as well, actually in, in two areas. So one is this area. Right. But the other area, which I, I think is, is going to Around back... divisive, this whole idea of if th- that if the topic was divisive, that it could not be taught. Uh, maybe that's a third. Yeah. So okay. what I was thinking, and this is an area where I think it'll backfire on the right, is um, that unless there, there's like some concern about the home, that, well... I mean, that, that's going to be so open to interpretation. Mm. So the school can say, well, you know, gee, we think that the kid really would suffer if, if he or she told, told the parents what was going on. So, hey, you know, if, if it's going to be open to interpretation and you've got an LGBTQ-friendly um, administration, they're going to say, hey, you know, we, we thought from our discussions with your, your son or daughter that this would be a disaster if we brought it home. So it, it may just sort of shift the way in which the, uh, the parents don't know, the, the, the mechanism or the, the legal uh, discussion, the legal language, but it's, it could still end up in the same thing where parents still don't find out. Right. So, Well, it, it's tough because I, I think about my own education. <laughs> I know we're going back to the Stone Age, but... I did not have these kinds of discussions with teachers in my classrooms. I just didn't. I remember the discussion around, we're going to start sex education in the classroom. It's always been controversial. Eighth grade, right? There you go. Yeah. But it's always been controversial. What will be taught? How will it be taught? And I think these are high high stakes issues. You know, we Mm -hmm. often dig into these more deeply. I did, I'm going to actually have uh, Steve take a shot of this. uh, These are the National Sex Education Standards. This is in its second edition. I'm just going to show this. Web page because I think 13 states have adopted these standards or they're using them as guidelines in the way they teach sex education in their state. And I, I thought that this, as a seminal document, is something this is in its second edition, as I say, and it talks about grade specific, right? This whole idea of at what's the age appropriate approach to these issues. And I thought I could even, uh, for our listeners, just read through a couple of uh, uh, thoughts that uh, professionals have in regards to what uh, students should know and when. So here is just a passage by the end of the fifth grade. So here's one. By the end of the fifth grade, students should be able to explain the physical, social, and emotional changes that occur during puberty and adolescence and how the onset and progression of puberty can vary. Nothing too controversial there. Uh, The second is uh, describe how puberty prepares human bodies for the potential to reproduce and that some healthy people have conditions that impact the ability to reproduce. Uh, And and then, you know, gets into uh, a couple of other issues that I think are a little bit more complicated. You know, this is uh, define and explain differences between cisgender, cisgender, transgender, gender non-binary, gender expansive, and gender identity explain that gender expression and gender identity exist along a spectrum and describe gender role stereotypes and their potential impact on self 
and others. Now, I don't know about you, Dennis, but I'm just being as frank as I can to our listeners. We're talking about 11-year-olds, right? And to me, that sort of expectation, who's teaching our kids these kinds of things under what context? And, you know, when I look at who funded this second edition, one, and I don't know really anything yet about this group, but it's called Advocates for Youth, and their slogan is Young, Powerful, Taking Over. And another group is the Sex Ed for Social Change is their, uh, you know, their uh, byline, if you will. You know, it seems to me that if we don't plumb the depths of who's writing it and what's the intent behind it, we're really missing part of what we're talking about. This is a high stakes issue. This is the future of the minds of young people in this country. And, you know, while at Ashton University, we have adults here, right? So we're, we say we're teaching students how to think and not what to think. Boy, when you're a kindergartner or a third grader or a fifth grader, you want to hear, tell me, what am I to think about these things? Because I'm still figuring it out. Right. Well, and I would go further and say that that's not teaching how to think. I mean, right. so just that whole category scheme is not uncontroversial. It's not. It, it's not you know, th this is not, not a settled truth. Is right, it? exactly. This is not necessarily, as Aristotle famously said, cutting nature at its joints. Right. I mean, they're, they're saying where the joints are, but there's a large segment of the population that will not agree nope. with, with that categorical framework. Right, that knee is truly an elbow. Right, so, yeah, that's, that's uh, definitely putting the fingers on the scales there. And, uh, I mean... It would still be tough with that age to say, well, some say this, some say that, and we're going to kind of zip on, on you know, advocating one way or another. So even that would be a little bit tough for it that would. age. I mean, again, when we were kids, I mean, like I said, it was eighth grade for me. It was health class where we, we had this, this kind of discussion, or at least the rudiments. Yes, um, but, but not what we're advocating for fifth graders here. Yeah, right? no, exactly. So, yeah, this is kind of doubly controversial. Right, and, and I recently saw a young man, very articulate and passionate, and talked about his opposition to 616, and he was talking about how poor his own training and education was. Hmm. And he was a young person who had some gender fluidity, who was bullied as a young man, and his story was... Uh, to me, uh, well stated, he was compassionate and thoughtful. And he said, if it weren't for the public school teaching that I did receive, he said, my parents were lost. They didn't know what to tell me. And I found my community for the first time. I found, you know, being, uh, feel as though I was included. And I think, and I get all of that. And uh, so mm -hmm. I think to myself, there's a perfect example of when it's done right, how someone can be helped by good teaching or training. But I think the concerns that Floridians have and uh, Ohioans have is if you just allow any teacher under any circumstance to teach K through three kids, it only takes one or two or three to get it wrong to have a deleterious impact on my child. And that's, that's what I'm concerned about. Right. Absolutely. I mean, part of the discussion, and it's also controversial, is that um, some advocates on the right even refer to this as grooming. Hmm. Yes. Where, so, so for those who don't know, the idea of grooming before this discussion was basically a sexual predator finding ways to ingratiate him or herself to the other person, get them to trust them, and step by step to bring them into 
a wildly inappropriate sexual relation. Right. So this is not that, but, but the fear is that step by step, there's kind of this ideological progression that goes on that's going to bring people who, who might just be going through ordinary confusion about just who they are in general and getting them to interpret it in a cert with a certain lens that will lead to, let's say, them, them starting to undergo, let's say, gender transition, where if it's, if, it's, um, you know, if it's a boy, they'll start taking female hormones and you know, ultimately go down a path where it leads to surgery and in the other direction as well. Sure. Right? So that at least is, is the concern. And again, groomer is kind of an inflammatory term to be sure. It is. And the research doesn't seem to point to one community or the other, you know, being at some level at higher risk from this perspective. Right. Right. But, but, but that is the concern. It is and, a concern. And, and I mean, again, causation is always difficult. It is. But it is remarkable to see that if you look at these surveys of, of how many, of what percentage of people in different generations view themselves as LGBTQ. I mean, it goes from, let's say, like 1% or less in the boomer generation, or not the boomers, but let's say the, the greatest generation and maybe 1% to 2% with the boomers, and now it's like 20%. And it's certainly not some kind of rapid biological evolution that's going on. So what's going on? Well, is it that people are, again, being trained to think about their sexuality and gender in ways that actually lead them right. to, to view themselves in these ways and, and make changes? So that at least, depending on the state of research, seems to at least be a legitimate concern and, and a reason to be really hesitant about what, we, what we're teaching, uh, to, to especially to younger students. That's a great point, and I think as we often find as we're closing out our program, we're literally just scratching the surface and getting at lots of other controversial, difficult subjects. You know, maybe I'll close out the thought with this. Someone we respect is Jordan Peterson. We talked about him on our show before, and he's a clinical expert in this field. At least he was a clinician dealing with lots of young people who had issues with their own sexual orientation mm -hmm. and these issues. And he says it this way, so I'm quoting Peterson here, and something about what he said felt right to me. He said, listen, I'll say this to young people, that if you remain in what we would say is the general practical approach to sexuality, your life will be simpler. That's the way he puts it. He said, but if you feel like you must change or bend, he said, give it time. He said, it's very normal, natural for a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14, 16-year-old to have some, you know, uh, fluidity here and, and some uh, sense of uh, d gender dysphoria, very normal. But boy, when you start taking pills and, and right. changing your body, and then you have a regret at 20 and 22 and 24, that that's a high stakes uh, issue and a problem. So, uh, you know, we, we know that as educators, we want to be given the freedom to teach in a fashion that we feel is right. But we will always cede, especially to you know, young children cede that right to parents. This is a parent's choice, and if, if this is the way parents vote and legislate, uh, we, we would support that. And it'll be interesting to see what happens here in Ohio. We'll be following it. Right. We'll be watching the skies here in Ohio and elsewhere, and we look forward to bringing it back to our audience. And thank you, Dennis, for your comments today. These are tough topics. Are. Thank you thank for you. your thoughts. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, uh, and again, write to us at president at ashland.edu. We'd love to hear from you. 
Until next time, we're the watchers of the skies here at Ashland University. <laughs>